0: You're listening to On Mission with Dr. Matt Davis, a podcast designed to explore the personal mission of everyday leaders. Hear from men and women who are making a difference in their corner of the world and discover what keeps them on mission. Welcome to On Mission with Dr. Matt Davis. Today, I have the privilege to be joined by Dr. Marty and Mrs. Miriam Marriott, and this is a special edition of the podcast for sure. Doctor and Mrs. Marriott moved to Watertown, Wisconsin, when Doctor Marriott became the fifth president of Maranatha in January of 2010. They have three children and 12 grandchildren. Is that still accurate?
1: That is accurate.
0: Still good. All right. I, I knew to ask you, and yeah, I knew who to ask about that. The Marriotts have been involved in church ministry since 1979, when Oak Ridge Baptist Church in Tennessee was founded. Dr. Marriott also pastored in Pennsylvania and Michigan. As alumni, the Marriotts have a deep love for Maranatha, mm. its students, and a desire to mentor the next generation. In fact, Mrs. Mm. M, as Mrs. Marriott is called by the students, <laughs> hosts a weekly gathering of ladies in her home called Girl Talk. Dr. Mm. Marriott teaches in the Bible Institute as well as on various levels within Maranatha Baptist Bible College, as it was known when he became the president, and now Maranatha Baptist University. So it's my privilege this morning to welcome Dr. and Mrs. Marriott to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. No, we're glad to be here. Now, everyone knows you. You're the famous president and Mrs. M. I mean, you are the campus mom, and of course, everybody knows this Version of you, but there was a different version before this version, and I think a lot of people may be interested to know uh, that you have some kind of hidden talents, perhaps, or at least back in the day. And I'm not talking about singing or playing the trombone. Nah, neither one. No, uh, you were a pretty interesting athlete at, at back in your day. Is that right? Now you played baseball in high uh, school. Baseball, football. football. A little basketball. A little basketball, yeah. all right, back in the day. But there was one sport in particular that you had some pretty amazing achievements with, and that was? Bowling. Bowling, yeah, exactly. Yes. And uh, in fact, now uh, in bowling, a perfect score, if you don't miss a single pin in 10 frames plus a couple extra balls at the end, right, that you will achieve all strikes. And every time you roll the ball, you'll get a 300, right? It's like a perfect bowling game, 12 (laughs) strikes in a row. No spares, no gutter balls, 12 strikes in a row. All right. How close have you been to a perfect bowling (laughs) game?
2: Well, you know the answer. <laughs> I was I was 19 years old. Uh, I had started bowling when I was eight, and I was encouraged by an uncle who is a Hall of Fame bowler. By the way, is very very good, outstanding uh, bowler. And, I, I learned two
0: things just then that he has an uncle in the Hall of Fame right. and that there is a Hall of Fame <laughs> Yeah, yeah there really is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I love that.
2: Well, anyway, uh, you know, I started at eight, but by the time I was 19, you know, I was an unsaved guy and I'd gone the hippie route and that was kind of conflicting with a lot of the values of bowlers, all right? And so... <laughs> right, those uh, two didn't
0: go together. I, I've shared with you
2: before that these guys uh, put up with me because I was a good bowler. Well... Uh, On one particular night, I get up, and uh, 12 strikes in a row, 300, and that happens all the time now. I mean, every night, uh, somebody's going to get a 300, it seems. Hmm. But back then, it was the first 300 in 10 years at that bowling establishment. Whoa. Hmm. I made the Cincinnati late-night news because of it. It was making news. Uh, I won a side of beef. I want clothes. I want a diamond ring. I want luggage. I want a watch. I mean, you can go wait, on down wait. the list. W- was
0: this like the state championship? No, it was just, just a
2: regular night of bowling, but uh, it just doesn't happen that much. And so so a,
0: guy, a 19 yeah. year old kid rolls a 300, you're like, give him a side of beef and a diamond
2: ring. <laughs> well, see all these merchants had these things, you know, posters okay. saying, mm-hmm. if you rolled a 300, this is what we're going to give you. Yeah. And right. that was just at that lane. And then there were other uh, awards as well, but um, they didn't expect anybody really to do it. <laughs> well,
0: yeah, that had been ten years. Uh, so, d- uh, as the, do you remember the game itself? I mean, do you oh, remember? Yeah, you can't yeah. forget things at, like that. Yeah, yeah. So, at what point did you start to realize like this is a special night? I've really got it going today.
2: Well, I had I had guys saying to me that you're not supposed to do this, but it was I was in a basically a, a handicap league. It's called, and these guys had never probably ever been around anybody that had done that and <laughs> certainly it didn't happen often and they said hey you got you got six in a row are you getting worried about anything they were kind of doing that I said listen <laughs> don't talk to me until I get nine and I have <laughs> okay. to get up in the 10th frame <laughs> yep and when that happened it was the ball was getting heavy but oh I bet yeah and, so and I bet the was crowd was quiet the, very quiet oh, everybody in the lane 38 <laughs> lanes stopped bowling and were they were crowded behind my lane as that happened, and so that's stuff that you don't do these days. If yeah. you're somebody's doing yeah. that, you let them let them go. It's like a no hitter. You don't talk don't about it. Don't mention it. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a very much the taboo. You know, you don't don't mention it. So that's a pretty incredible experience, and of course, you went on to a life of fame and fortune. In the- <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> no, that didn't, yes. you decided not to necessarily pursue bowling as a career, but obviously, you must have been pretty good at that point.
2: Uh, yeah, I was. I was doing really well and invited to bowl in some pretty premier leagues and things like that. But anyway, uh, what happened is after that, I got saved, and it was a year later, and I bowled. Long enough to witness to everybody in every league uh mm-hmm. that i was in, and some received it well, some didn't receive it so well, but you know by that time i i was uh I had a haircut and I was dressing differently, <laughs> and I was talking about church and and things like that, Which and it has
0: been very different from the previous oh, version well, yeah. everybody <laughs> saw the difference yeah. they
2: knew the difference, yeah. and you know we we were able to reach a few so.
0: That's incredible. That's Mm -hmm. a great testimony of really the change in your life that happened after that time. So this is a podcast where we like to talk to people whose lives are about something more than themselves. They're living for eternity. And that just very clearly defines your life and your testimony. But I wonder if you've ever thought about defining yourself. Do you have, the question we always like to start out with is, do you have a personal mission in life. How do you like to articulate that?
2: That uh, is very difficult. I know some people have them written out very carefully, and churches do that as well. I've never done that. Um, I just have lived my life that, Lord, you're first in everything. What do you want me to do? And uh, my life verse, uh, I was told at one point, you need a life verse. You know, (laughs) I was a young Christian, and I, I thought, wow, okay, and so I got one. (laughs) Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think, according to the power that worketh in you. And the next Mm -hmm. verse talks about the local church. And Mm -hmm. uh, so my life has been, Lord, use me for your glory Mm -hmm. in the church, through the church. But Mm -hmm. uh, even more than that, Mm -hmm. through me, do things that I know that I can't do myself. Mm -hmm. And that has really been the hallmark. I mean, he has done far more than... I could have ever imagined i'm not a i'm not a multi-talented guy i just uh i'm just a plugger you know just keep doing what's right and and see what god will do so
0: so you were about 20 when you got i was 20 when i got saved yes and you know we could go down that trail i guess as well but as with every lost center it was a miraculous set of circumstances that that certainly led to that and multiple people witnessing to you and Along the way. But would you describe yourself as, Mm. at that point, a fairly unlikely convert? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the
2: least likely convert that you would think of. Um, No one would have expected that. I was a guy that Mm. really people would have thought he has everything, he doesn't have those kind of needs, but I was empty on the inside Mm. and I I was looking for purpose in life. Mm. Uh, I didn't see a purpose. I believed in God and that kind of held me in, knowing that there. Mm. Must be a purpose if there's a God. And Mm -hmm. I can tell you about all the different steps and individuals that contributed uh, to Mm -hmm. my understanding, Mm -hmm. trying to give me the gospel. But uh, when I finally trusted Christ, I was alone uh, in my apartment. I moved out of the house and living near the University of Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. I heard the gospel on TV Mm -hmm. and bowed down in my apartment and asked the Lord to forgive me, come into my life and give me a life worth living. I didn't know what I was asking for, didn't right. know there was anything about churches, didn't know anything about a school like Maranatha, didn't know that they existed. Sure. And so I never expected to be sitting here today.
0: Yeah. yeah. All right, so I wanna pause right there in your story. And turned then to your life at okay. this point. You had a very different experience <laughs> because you grew up in a pastor's home, I right? Did,
1: I so did. tell us
0: a little bit about what your early family life was like.
1: Well, I would say I wasn't just reared in a preacher's home, a pastor's home. Um, my father was a pastor of pastors. Mm-hmm. I always remember that he was constantly helping other churches, other pastors, other ministries. And uh, we all our home was always filled with missionaries and other leaders.
0: Now, just so people may actually recognize your dad's name, yes, but not know that he's your dad. So tell them. (laughs) Well, some
1: some people would still know David Cummins. Of course, so they would
0: be reading Mm -hmm. his book every day.
1: (laughs) They would every day and third edition of (laughs) Of this this day day in Baptist Baptist
0: history. Let's go. All right, links (laughs) provided in the show notes. Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think us. So um, interestingly, my father would talk about having um, life in a woman's dormitory because there were five daughters. Five daughters? Um, five daughters. Oh, man. Yes. And no sons. No sons. Poor
0: guy. I have three and, sons, and I'm like happy with that, that uh, ratio.
1: <laughs> and, <laughs> so
0: five daughters. Where are yes, you in the rank? I'm
1: right in the middle. Yeah. So I have to say, I don't ever remember hearing my father pray that we would marry pastors. Um, in fact, I was probably the least likely one to marry a pastor because I had some tumultuous time in my teen years. Um, and public education did not help. Help. I was uh, living during that time of the hippie movement and so many changes taking place in our public school and so much encouragement to do wrong. That was and, in the South, Right. No, actually, we were living oh. in the north at that time that was until, in the north. yes. Oh, okay. So, actually, uh, when my father took a pastor in Atlanta, is one of the best things that happened because I had never been with a youth group that was on fire. I really had never known a teenager that was really, that I felt like really lived. Wholeheartedly for the Lord. I just mm. wasn't exposed to teenagers that were standing up in their public schools, and so we moved to Atlanta. There was a group in my school that carried Bibles to school, and sat on the front rows of church to take notes, and it was a really life changing thing for me. I know my parents probably think at that moment I, during that time, I got saved, mm. but I was saved as a young child under the ministry of Monroe Parker, oh. um, as he spoke in our church and. I saw the need of my salvation. So,
0: so you got saved as a young girl, yes. but then yes. you feel like looking back, never really <laughs> caught fire for the Lord. <laughs> well, until I caught fire
1: early. I just kind of got quiet during my I teen see. years when it wasn't cool anymore to stand for the Lord. Well, that's
0: hard. And I do understand that growing up in a preacher's home.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Your parents are sacrificing, oh, serving yes, the Lord. Yes. I had the same experience with my dad was very genuine. And I. Mm-hmm. there are people that talk yes. about, being PK as if that's a bad yeah. thing. That, oh, I never no. had that understanding. Oh, no. It wasn't until I got to college mm-hmm. and met some other PKs that said <laughs> that that I ever even had a negative thought about, I never about had that, that negativity. Idea. But it's their thing. Right. And then you have this yeah. kind of, is that going to be my thing? You know, and you've got these other friends. And, <laughs> right. and so I, I know exactly yes. what you mean by mm-hmm. the dynamic there right. of when is it going to become personal for right. me? Yes. And so you decided to. Go off to Bible college? Well, that's interesting
1: because at the time um, when my father moved to Atlanta and uh, one day there was a day that I actually remember looking in the mirror and telling the Lord if he was willing to use my broken life that I had not stood for the Lord and I had not been exemplary. I must have been all of 15 at that moment. Mm -hmm. I said, Lord, I want you to have all that's left. I didn't know if he would want to use me at that point. And, uh, she sounds a
0: little like Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> like, it wasn't that bad, Mrs. M. <laughs> let's be clear. <laughs>
1: well, let's be clear. I, I, but was, you,
0: I mean, that moment I of surrender. I would hear my
1: father praying for me at night, so oh, okay. this was pretty obvious. That
0: moment of surrender, I that think, That moment is so of important.
1: surrender it also included that I told my father, who was a board member at Maranatha, that I would also willingly... Go to Maranatha when I, when my time came. I, I already had a sister here. <laughs> oh, okay.
0: So you, you were kind of debating it up to that point. Oh, no, there was no debate it. in
1: my father's mind. Oh, I see. I was just, <laughs> I was just being rebellious. <laughs> okay.
0: So you said, All right, I will surrender to God's yes, will. Yes. And my yes, father's will yes, and yes. go to Maranatha. And I guess we should come back then, Dr. <laughs> Marriott. You're having a little different experience because you've already got a little college under your belt at this point, having studied at the University of Cincinnati. What were you studying at that point prior to coming to know the Lord? Good times. (laughs) No, no, okay. I said the word study. What was your major? All
3: right. If I could ask it more I started
2: as an engineering student. I see. And uh, Mm. I transferred and ended up uh, just in psychology because it was so easy. Okay. I didn't really have to do anything there. Um, you know, it was, you didn't even have to go to class really to to yeah. do well. I mean, right. I didn't. So, uh, that's where I ended up and that's where the Lord mm-hmm. took me finally to the end of myself. So, right. so anyway, I, I got, when I got saved, I was directed to a church and uh, it's a long story how that happened. I called somebody that I knew went to church and I thought, I think they're a Christian. Maybe they can direct me. Mm-hmm. And so they did and uh it was through that church that i was introduced to maranatha mm-hmm. not knowing uh, anything about a christian college i asked the pastors Is there anywhere i can go to study the bible
0: okay so why did you want to study the bible were you already at that early stage thinking no ministry mm-hmm. no i just, just wanted, no. To wanted to study the, the bible
2: no. okay uh, when i got saved i just started digging into the bible and i <laughs> The pastor mm-hmm. said, uh, "Read the New Testament." I read it, came back. Now what? He said, "Well, read the Old Testament." And so mm-hmm. I read it and came back. It took a little longer, but he he was kind of flustered, I think, because mm-hmm. he weeks, didn't really know how to you know? disciple. Mm-hmm. And so I asked him, "Now what do I okay. do next?" And he said, "Well, read it again," you know. And so, <laughs> uh, but I just wanted to be able to do that. Now mm-hmm. he's the one that got me preaching. In the early months of my salvation, Hmm. I mean, I was scared to death. But Mm -hmm. on a Sunday night, uh, you know, probably six months or less, no, several months, I guess, after I was saved, he has me preach my first sermon, has me reading scripture and, you know, to everybody's. uh,
0: I guess that could be good or bad. Well, (laughs) yeah, you know,
2: it, it could be. But I can remember one time getting up to read the scripture for that morning service and. I said a balsam this and a balsam that everybody's chuckling, and I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I had never been to Sunday school. I didn't know that it was Absalom oh <laughs> <laughs> so there was a lot of things I didn't know, but uh God bless my first eighteen minute sermon, and mm-hmm. people you know seemed to be edified oh. and uh, yeah, can so you imagine
1: I just want to add one thing. Yeah. You know, this young man, this young hippie walks into a small church, no one his age, and these people embraced him. And um, the fear that was in his heart to go there, and he was not a fearful person, but to walk into a church. And they embraced him and made him like their own family. And I really believe that love um, of that receptivity of him has, you know, kept him on the right track. And I believe was so instrumental in where he is today.
0: I think that's still even, even where we're at today with church, that it's such a need out in the communities from a secular standpoint, they talk about all the mental health Mm -hmm. challenges that we have, the drug addiction problems, the breakdowns in the family, and that people Mm -hmm. have nowhere to turn. And, And when you, when you talk with people in society Mm. and in culture, they'll say, well, that's where, you know, the bars and the clubs and the things that all real kind of meet that need. Right. So really, do they, do they meet that need? Mm. And I think, I wonder if only there was a place where people with shared values could come together and encourage one another around some sort of common sense of truth, you know? Oh, uh, maybe God did give us something along those lines. called a church. And so it's funny where people will go for substitutes Mm. for church. Bar and yet, the God church. gave us a real kind of mm. kinship and family, yeah. but the accepting nature of those people to see the potential, even where maybe you didn't see the potential. So your pastor knew about Marinatha; it wasn't a wasn't a real long term established no, institution he at that time. Home, yeah. yeah, yeah, knew the yeah. school. Yeah, and so what year would that have been that you actually <laughs> came and visited? I
2: visited in seventy four. Yeah. You know the previous millennium, you know.
0: <laughs> so you visited with your pastor or with someone? He
2: brought me. Okay. And uh, he had taken me to another school, and it's no longer in existence. It's been absorbed, but it was in Michigan. And, you know, somebody had given me a bunch of clothes at my size, and, and so I had a coat and a tie on, the only one that I had, a sport coat. <laughs> and I got to that campus, and I was— The only one, (laughs) you know, know, only one, only student. You're like,
0: I've been misinformed. (laughs) And uh, so,
2: anyway, I looked around and I told my pastor, I said, I don't want to go here. And he said, Why? I said, Because all I see are a bunch of wannabes. Hmm. He says, What do you mean? I said, They want to be like I used to be, and I don't want to be that way anymore. Hmm. And it was Mm -hmm. so easy to detect Mm -hmm. the direction. And the desires mm-hmm. of these students all around me came to maranatha that was the next mm-hmm. leg of the trip got on campus i said i want to be here there it was, was a completely different, different atmosphere mm-hmm. uh you know it's not a perfect school today it wasn't then uh there were students there for the wrong reason i'm sure mm-hmm. i met some of them later yeah but mm-hmm. but for the most part these students wanted to serve mm-hmm. god they wanted to to live for him. Mm. And it was obvious. Now I made a mistake because back in those days, you know, the dress code was quite different than even it is now. And I decided, well, I'm not going to make the mistake again by wearing a coat and tie. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I wore a Paisley shirt or something like that that somebody, and, and, uh, oh, I looked Paisley around. Paisley shirt. Oh, oh yeah. I'm going to oh, find yeah. that.
0: <laughs>
2: so, you know, my, my experience was, was a good one though. And yeah. it really didn't matter to me about rules back in those days and even when i got to campus uh just tell me what's pretty strict tell me what you want me to do i mean i've been living on my own Mm uh and doing whatever i want anytime i want to do it but i need what's here and uh i just i just want to serve the lord so Mm -hmm.
0: so this is the point then when you're both now enrolled at maranatha Uh and um I'm wondering if it was love at first sight or how exactly well, did this all work out?
2: I know you are familiar with this story, <laughs> but let's back up just a little bit because okay. that visit, yeah. is when I first.
0: Well, I was going to ask you if anything saw <laughs> Miriam. If you saw okay. anything interesting. <laughs> Most people know
2: uh, where the two staircases are uh, in the central foyer of Old Main. Well, Dr. Cedarholm's office was the office, uh, the central office yeah. there that's now shared uh, by Dr. Jones and Dr. Oates. But that was his office. So I was in there uh, waiting for my pastor and Dr. Cedarholm to come back. They were negotiating my credits in their transfer, oh, okay. you know, yeah. that type of thing. But I was sitting there with another pastor who used to pastor in Fort Atkinson, who happened to be Miriam's extension pastor. Oh, okay. Okay. We call partnering church now. And uh, so she was out on choir tour, and she had missed a couple of Sundays because of that. And she saw her pastor sitting in Dr. Cedarone's office uh, with this other guy, you know. And and so she steps to the door. Hi, Pastor Hoffman. I just, and she gives him the whole story about why she had missed. She's going to be back. And my eyes are glued on her. All right? <laughs> I don't know what she's talking about. But... <laughs> and, and then she walks away, and she starts up one of the staircases. And I leaned over to see where she was going. And when I brought my eyes back to the pastor, he looked at me right in the eye, and he said, forget it. She's engaged. I went, oh, okay. And so I actually went home, and according to my life verse, I prayed that God would give me a girl like the one I saw at Maranatha. And he did better than that because when I came back in the fall, things started happening. And uh, she was no longer engaged.
0: Well, well, well. Yeah. So exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. Okay. <laughs> all right. So what's your
2: side, side of the My side of that? the story
1: is, why, am I, why did I notice that guy? This is not right, Miriam. You know, why should I notice that guy? He was like a light bulb. Uh, the joy of the Lord was so obvious on drooling. his face. <laughs> 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 the joy of the Lord was just so obvious in his life. And oh, I was awesome. attracted to that. Yeah. And I was reprimanding myself. And then when he came back in the fall, I really didn't recognize him because he was a lot more cleaned up. And, um, but I <laughs> she still. Know how
0: much. Cleaner I was then than I used to be, but, you know. <laughs> Not an overnight thing. <laughs> That's incredible. And so God used uh, the very first – I mean, it's it's incredible to to remember when you met someone. So this grew into something more, and you dated, and, and yeah. eventually you got married um, – at what point did you get married? Because you did some seminary then after graduating. From we got married in
2: 1976. Okay, just two And years we've later. told our children that they cannot do what mom <laughs> did, all right? Uh, yeah. I asked uh, Good luck. Pastor Cummins if we could get married, and uh, he was willing for that to happen, but under no uncertain terms, he said, I will not pay for her senior year. That's on you. Okay. (laughs) And so how are you going to do that young man? Well, it just so happens I had some money saved and I explained it to him and he was happy with that. So I did a year of graduate work. I was a year ahead and uh, did a year of graduate work while she finished her senior year. Uh, And uh, so understand we met in the spring of 74. It was the fall of 74 uh, that I got to school. So it was, we got engaged like after a year. Okay. Yeah,
0: so. You were married and then off to seminary. And that's not an easy thing to be a married student. And you're doing your, your studies, but you've also right. got interesting jobs along the way. And you kind of had an assortment of interesting jobs through that process.
2: Yes. Well. We can tell young people that they think getting married solves all the problems, and they're going to be able to see each other more and all that. Oh. Well, frankly, we found out that once we got married and we had school to do and we had jobs to do, uh, that mm-hmm. probably we didn't see each other nearly as much as we did <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <When> <laughs> we were just dating on on dating right. in campus, you know. Yeah. So,
0: but you were yeah. teaching a Christian school right. for at least yes. a year during yes. that time, right? Two years. Two years. Yes. And you were working, what, security? Mm-hmm. And... I worked
2: security. I worked in a factory. And then I taught mm-hmm. uh, part-time my mm-hmm. uh, last year in seminary.
0: How do you feel like those experiences prepared you for what God had for you later mm-hmm.
2: on? Oh, I think going out at, for a pastor, having some mm-hmm. work experience in the secular world is invaluable. Mm-hmm. I think it it causes you to think about how hard it mm-hmm. is for you know, men and women to put in 40 hours a week or however many hours it is, sometimes more, sometimes less, and mm-hmm. how hard it is to earn the money that they make. And certainly mm-hmm. that makes you a better steward of what they right. are contributing, mm-hmm. True, you know, God's tithe and more. Yep. And you, you want to honor that. And you want to honor their time as well. Mm-hmm. And you want to make sure that you that you know uh, what they're up against. So I, right. I, I saw some of that. I mean, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I worked all the way through uh, high school. I had a job. Always had a job of some kind. So mm-hmm. I think that that helped. Uh, mm-hmm. I can understand a little bit about what they go through and what it's like out there
0: every day. Yeah, uh, and the work ethic that yeah. it right. takes to be <laughs> right. in that mode. And so you graduate from seminary, and God mm-hmm. sends you right into church planting.
2: <laughs> yes, right away. <laughs> We uh, we planted a church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, but the, the short of the long story is that we did have opportunities to go other places, and one of the places was a church in Michigan that we almost went to, and frankly, it would have been, in most people's estimation, a great opportunity for a guy right out of seminary. I mean, they they regularly had 250 people in the morning, and you know they had a parsonage. They were doing well. Young people. Uh, uh, a lot of young couples yes. and things like that. Yes. So uh, my wife was decorating that parsonage <laughs> all the way down I-75 <laughs> on the way back to Tennessee. You just knew that's where you yeah. were going. Yeah. So a week later, with no peace, I told the chairman of the deacons that I really believe God wanted us to start a church. Hmm. And uh, hmm. part of that was... Lord, uh, you've promised to do these things. Yeah. And uh, I don't want to be guilty of taking the easy road. I want to, I want to see you work. Uh, and that's what we chose to do. And we didn't know where we were going at the time. Mm-hmm. And then God led us to this uh, unusual situation in a town where there was no independent Baptist church and others had tried to plant one there and a couple of mm-hmm. them failed. And
0: this is Oak Ridge, Tennessee? Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Right. Yeah. So yeah. most people maybe today mm. don't know the significance of Oak Ridge. Mm-hmm. So what is it that Oak Ridge at that time was really kind of unique and famous for? Well, that's moment? where
2: the atomic bomb was developed in coordination with Los Alamos. And, you know, we, we're talking Oak Ridge National Laboratory being there, uh, uranium enrichment being done there, uh, nuclear weapons being uh, assembled and built there, and that there were three major plants there. And uh, the the city was built in such a way as to be hidden uh, in between the hills. That's why they chose this place. And so it was a secret city and Mm -hmm. everybody has clearances and top secret, you know, loose lips, you know, sink ships type of a thing, uh, billboards around reminding people of that. Mm -hmm. By the time we got there, of course, in 1979, a lot of that had, had been opened up and but there were still remnants of that kind of thinking there. And uh, we didn't feel like we were attached to Knoxville, which is close. It's a long-distance telephone call. And <laughs> it was not easy to get from Oak Ridge to Knoxville. Hmm. Uh, over the years, that's all changed. And... Uh, Oak Ridge is more open than it's ever been. Yeah, yeah. You
1: were even careful to ask people what their job was. Yeah, because, because they was, weren't free right. to talk about it. These always. were the people yes. you were reaching in right. your church yes. engineers, oh, professional yes. people. Very professional.
0: Right. Yeah, so oh, it yes. wasn't your normal—I mean, people no. think the hills of Tennessee no. is a little different thing. No, no, <laughs> no, this is a
2: very high-tech place, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. and
0: and so you had a unique ministry, got blessed in that. Oh, yes. And yes. I, I think what's interesting about what mm-hmm. I've noticed over all these years as we've served together is what a team mm-hmm. you are, oh. right? I mean, can you can you speak to that oh. sort of team aspect mm-hmm. of ministry and, and planting a church mm-hmm. and, and serving the Lord together? Well—
2: mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually probably on me to get us there and it's on my wife to keep us there. You know, by, (laughs) in our various ministries, I've often said, you know, uh, they might not like me and want to get rid of me, but they won't get
0: rid of her. So I'm safe. It makes it a lot harder, you know? (laughs)
2: Um, I'm not, I'm not naturally outgoing, um, at all. I've learned to be as a pastor. I've learned to interact Mm -hmm. with people, um, but my wife is the opposite of that. She's a people person, and that really uh, helped us in the beginning of our ministries. Uh, big time. she's uh, not only had a ministry with ladies over the years, but a children's ministry, a ministry with uh, music and and all of that. So you know she's in all those ways, everything I'm not. and uh, so as a team uh, we we've been very. Uh, successful together in ministering to the whole church.
1: But I have to say, um, I feel like Marty was one of, besides my father, was one of my best pastors. So I was learning so much from him that I was able to then share. But of course, I had a good Bible training here at Maranatha. But I think one of the sweetest things is that we ministered as a family team And so, um,
0: because your family started
1: pretty quick, very quickly. Yes. And our children were all involved in the ministry. But I think one of the sweet aspects was God, even when we had almost nothing, people were always in our home. So I don't ever remember feeding people peanut butter and jelly. And God always provided When from the very beginning. We always had our church in our home. And even as the church grew and got bigger, okay, so we can't have everybody tonight, but we can have this group. Next week we'll have this group. They were always in our home. And I remember one of our members who is now in glory told us that he learned more about how to raise children and how to have a home by being in our home and being with us. And um, so I think that that's kind of been the heart of our ministry together. And
0: you're a trained teacher. I mean, that was what you studied in college. And you taught for a few years and then... Really, that transformed over into the children's ministries Absolutely. in the church. Absolutely. So, w- yes. tell me a little bit yes. about how that developed, and well, you even created a program I heard about. <laughs> I did. I've been trying to find Years it on later. eBay or anywhere.
1: <laughs> right. But tell, tell me well, what it was
0: called and what you did there.
1: Well, I think one of the um, vital things was when we were in a home, we were just meeting in a home. I started teaching children in the back room or in the backyard, and um, and that grew. And because the parents knew the children are well provided for. I think that gave them the liberty to stay longer, to visit more because the children were being cared for. And, of course, we were building relationships with the children, which is just so vital. Mm. And so that grew and grew. And then um, – I think I did a little bit less, although we did some um, vacation Bible school with the children in Pennsylvania. But when we went to Detroit, I developed a children's program for the summer when I felt like children had the most time on their hands and we had our college students home from college, that we should have a program for children. And so oh. I developed a little summer program that was the so summer not, nights. <laughs> not just a
0: week of VBS, but the oh, whole summer Oh, the whole program. summer.
1: And the children would come dressed in medieval and- Oh, we, summer nights, like nights the K- with the K- Okay. okay. And uh, so A that was. Play
0: on words there. <laughs> I like what you did with that. That's nice. Very so, creative. A lot all of right. fun. A lot of fun. That is awesome. So, and so just finding mm, ways yes. to plug in, finding oh, ways yes. to reach the community. Yes, yes. And all the while, just. Mm-hmm.
1: Always together. May I say one other thing? Yeah. I think this is really vital. I hear women today say that the women are not important in a ministry. I remember thinking we had so much for women in our ministries. We had ladies night out. We had Bible studies. We had ladies Sunday school classes. We, The women were very involved in our ministry. I re- remember thinking that if there was a conflict on the calendar, my husband would have booted the men and said, the women need this room. The women are having their event. <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> He's a smart man. <laughs> (laughs) But I think that bringing the women together made the church warm and welcoming and helped grow the church. I really think that's vital. Can I
0: ask you about part of your ministry here and where that sort of came from? Things appear on the campus that Dr. Marriott and I— yes, had no part in and no idea. And people ask us or even give us credit sometimes for these things. And they're just little scenes like around here, there's a door all of a sudden and a a hay bale and a pumpkin. And I think that's incredible. Where did that come from? And someone say, well, Mrs. M, you know, she puts
1: it together. I wish they didn't have to know.
0: Well, okay, but they do. But my question is when you do, I've seen you do things like that on campus here Mm -hmm. and also in your home. I don't get the sense that you're just doing that because you like to fuss over decorations in particular, although I'm sure you have a gift for that. But it seems like what you're saying is you're doing this intentionally to create an environment for ministry to take place. Mm, Is that what you're trying to do? Is this kind of your way to (laughs) create to sort of set the stage for that, for it to be cozy and comfortable and welcoming? May
1: I just say that Mrs. Cedarholm, when I was in Madrigal years ago, encouraged us to invest in teacups. Now, they're not that popular today.
3: Teacups? In
1: teacups. Oh, women. I think they're coming that, back, actually.
3: Right?
1: <laughs> that were in ministry. And she would say, if you put people together at a table and you can't afford to even feed them a dinner, you can afford tea and you can bring people together. And that's how relationships are forged. And so I like places where people can gather and where friendships are forged. Some of your best friendships are in college and in your local church and you provide these little spots. They're Mm -hmm. very important. And so I, that's purposeful. Well,
0: you use your home here on the campus that way. Now we alluded to it in the introduction, but you have girl talk. Um, and I, I usually get like when you guys are out of town, Mm -hmm. then I'm presiding in chapel and I'll get this (laughs) announcement and I'll have to say, there is no girl talk today, you know, and everybody <laughs> cries and moans and groans. Oh, sure. I try to have fun with it. Like, girls, no talking, you know, and, but that's not really what it means. Can, can you explain what, why is that an important thing for you? Because you're, you're putting a, a lot of... Ooh time and investment and creamer and, you know, other kinds of things creamer. In, in this, <laughs> Coffee. what, what oh. is Girl Talk and, and why is that a big deal?
1: Well, I think it's, um, it's special to be able to bring ladies together with the Word of God and have a casual Bible study, ask questions, talk, share burdens, pray together. Um, and these things are really vital for spiritual growth, and I know the guys don't need it. They just need a racquetball partner, you know. But women—we don't really... really
0: have a like a, a guy's corollary to, to girl talk. <laughs> you don't. We're still trying to figure out what that would be right, exactly.
1: Yes. <laughs> But I, it's just an important part. I think I love hearing every year somebody said I will will say to me I would have never had a friendship with this my best friend if I hadn't met her in your home because we weren't in the same classes the same dorms uh, our paths would not have crossed easily we weren't in the same society but I met her, her in your home or someone will tell me almost I get it frequently yesterday a girl or on Tuesday a girl told me. Um, I made my decision to come to Maranatha in your living room. I was visiting with a group, and you invited us over for coffee. And I decided this was a campus where I could flourish. And that just thrills my soul. And that's not
0: just something you do for visitors, but that's literally when you're here (laughs) for everybody. Yes, yes, And it's not Christmas time yet, but uh, maybe by the time this episode uh, airs, you will have had your entire house decorated by
1: By students, guys (laughs) and girls. The guys have to help us.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Now, I I will ask you about that. Are you a purist? Like Thanksgiving Uh is the time you start or are you Uh, starting to decorate already?
1: I might break my my record this year and put the tree up early. Okay.
2: Well, we'll forgive you. I know, yeah. It's not the beginning, it's the end. She never wants to take it down.
1: (laughs) That's the problem.
2: Yeah,
0: I certainly understand that. You have something that I've noticed, uh, Dr. Marriott, that you do at commencement, and I think it kind of summarizes something that we're talking about here in terms of ministry as a team we have the regalia and the pomp and circumstance (laughs) at at graduation and everyone has their fancy gowns. You know, I have a fabulous gown that I wear for commencement and uh, it's the only time. It's spectacular. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Velvet. What what else are guys sitting here wearing velvet? (laughs) It's purple. I mean, (laughs) it's really crazy, but we, Mm. we do that for the students and for the, for the, seriousness and, and uh, gravity yes. of the event. But in the processional, we come forward, mm-hmm. all these administrators and muckety mucks come forward in the in the process. But then in the recessional, I noticed because I've been kind of walking in this lineup that Dr. Marriott will sort of pull you into the, the recessional and take your hand and, and kind of you walk along with him as you go out. And I just think that's emblematic of not just your ministry here, but it seems that that's been the entire journey has been ministry along the way. Do you do that on purpose?
2: Yeah, that was done very (laughs) purposefully. And uh, I warned her that I was going to do that the very first time. And, you know, it kind of of breaks tradition and, you know, decorum maybe is questioned. I don't think anybody does anymore, but uh, that was kind of a surprise to some the first time I did that, but I uh, I just respond, I'm the president and I can do what I want. <laughs> yeah, he's
0: going to stop you. I think if you didn't do it now, there'd be a, There'd be outcry. a problem, yeah. 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 It hasn't been all wonderful. Their life has given you some challenges along the way um, in your family, and uh, there were years of, of just wondering, you know, mm-hmm. God, what what is happening here? Why are you letting this happen to us? We're mm-hmm. we're both dedicating our lives to serving mm-hmm. you, and yet some some difficult circumstances have come along. Mm-hmm. And you know, even before the most recent issues mm-hmm. with your health, um, you guys have gone through some Good. very deep waters. And yet mm-hmm. that. I, I think the testimony that you've had through that is something that has only enhanced your mm-hmm. ministry and just the respect that people have. But I wonder if you could reflect a little bit on some lessons learned mm-hmm. from maybe the not so highlight parts of life that God has allowed you to, to come through. That's
2: really interesting that you would say that. I, When I was diagnosed with cancer, I went back and, and uh, started looking at a lot of the old pictures and notes and files and mm-hmm. things like that. And, uh, obviously, uh, I found things there that brought back memories. And, um, I have a couple of, uh, resignation letters that I never, <laughs> never turned in, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just kind of writing them down. And I, I, I don't think I ever blamed God for anything. I, I mm-hmm. never said, God, why are you allowing this or anything like that? There were times, though, that I, I questioned myself, uh, can I do this? Should I do this? Uh, am I measuring up? Uh, one of the very first times was when we were in Tennessee planting the church. We hadn't even gotten a building yet, I don't mm-hmm. think, but uh, we uh, we just weren't seeing people saved like I thought. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. Lord, what am I doing wrong? I'm hearing you know, people give these testimonies on reaching people, and hmm. and Lord, I, you know, I just don't feel like I'm fruitful, and and that, that came back to me a few times while I was in uh, that ministry in that town. Now, not to make any excuse, because this was real to me, very real, but that was a very difficult place. One out of nine working men at the time was a PhD, Whoa. a lot of people with advanced okay. degrees, and... Um, very religious, um, uh, mm-hmm. materialism, uh, mm. was rampant there. They oh, had really yes. nice things paid well. And that's a combination. that's hard to reach. And, but I didn't know that. I didn't realize that. <laughs> well, we left Oak Ridge, uh, after nine years, turned it over and left and went to get further education in another pastorate. And it was an education, believe me. Uh, we had major challenges at times, uh, internal conflicts. The church had had a couple of splits. It was uh, 175 years old before we got there. And uh, you could look at the genealogy of the membership by two families, you know, mm-hmm. as it spread out. And you know, you know, it was not the Hatfields and McCoys, but at times maybe you thought it was. So we were in that situation and it was very difficult. Mm. However, it was very fruitful. fruitful. Lots of people got saved. Oh, yes. Hard cases. I mean, some extremely hard cases and God broke through. And mm. And I learned, and I remember telling the Lord, I said, well, now I know it wasn't because <laughs> of my lack or doing not doing what I'm supposed to do, but it was uh, circumstantial to a great degree. The ground was different in those places, mm-hmm. so we ended up going back to Oak Ridge after yeah. five years. The church—that's an ended, unusual
0: path yeah, to go back. <laughs> you know unusual
2: that a church would want you back. You know, well, but, you were the founder. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, they'd had some difficulties of their own, mm-hmm. and. I won't go into, but we went back and had had to do some rebuilding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of things had changed in that five years, believe it or not, because some of the old guard that had been there in World War II had retired out, and the culture Mm -hmm. was changing. It was Mm -hmm. opening up, and now access to Knoxville. So we were able Mm -hmm. to see the church get rebuilt to where it had been previously Mm -hmm. uh, before God called us away again, so.
0: So those lessons Mm. from those days, um, I'm sure God built into Mm. you maybe a little more confidence in what he was doing, even when you Mm. couldn't see exactly (laughs) what he was doing. While we were in
2: Pennsylvania, I, I thought my ministry had ended because I did what I thought was the right thing to do. And I actually dismissed some employees from our school uh, that just happened to be related to the chairman of the deacons and the chairman of the school board, who Uh-oh. their kids had intermarried, and, <laughs> oh and uh, so I said, "Well, it's the right thing to do," but it was mm-hmm. difficult, and I mm-hmm. figured I might as well just leave. And the Lord miraculously mm-hmm. turned that whole thing around. So you know, that's that's great. It's a good story. But you're asking about defeats, and I started there and. You know, when you go through things like that, there it's not all uphill. Mm-hmm. There are times of doubt sometimes, mm-hmm. and you you just have to continue doing what you know is right and and trust that the Lord will eventually mm-hmm. uh, show you uh, that you did what was right or that you didn't and you can make it right.
0: <laughs> well, I think it's interesting in the verse that you, you claim is your life's verse that it, it, you have to look carefully at what it says. It says, now unto him that is able to do, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't say that Mm -hmm. what he's doing will be Mm -hmm. really exciting and wonderful for you (laughs) at the time. It says that he's doing something. He's accomplishing something beyond. But it's Mm -hmm. through us, too. It's it's through us. And there will be those happy moments, right? But that sometimes the big Mm -hmm. unthought of thing that God is doing is actually... Not a wonderful experience at, right. in the moment, yes. right? Do you see that happening now as mm. you go through a different kind of deep water with the diagnosis and the uncertainty of mm. all that? Huh.
2: Well, I maybe should let my wife chime in a little mm. bit, but yes, uh, I see it as a blessing in a lot of ways.
0: Mm. I is mean, it, but is God still doing exceeding abundantly <laughs> above all that you ask or oh, think now that you have a a diagnosis God. of? Cancer, the obviously. worst word anybody could hear. Yeah,
2: obviously, <laughs> yeah. uh, just the people that we hear from um, lets me know that it means something. Some people are going through. I've had people say, uh, "You know, I'm going through a really hard time, and I'm watching you, and I, I know I can do this." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's not ministry that you can quantify. It's not ministry that you can that you can touch. Mm-hmm. That you know for certain. Uh, that there's mm-hmm. the tangible fruit uh, mm-hmm. that it results from it. But I don't have any doubt that God is still working mm-hmm. and he's doing some things that I'm not aware of mm-hmm. and maybe won't be aware of until oh. eternity if mm-hmm. when he chooses to show me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think that that's true. But I think that when you're talking about a life of ministry, you have to say, it's not all going to be easy. It wasn't designed Mm -hmm. to be easy. And, you know, we've talked a bunch of times about the Maranatha experience. We don't design a a program here on campus for Maranatha students that's designed to be as easy as possible. Mm -mm. Uh, We purposely design some things that aren't going to be easy, and it prepares them. So, you know, life is like that, and you have to accept it that way and and trust God in it. Um, So... I've had some times when I've done that exceedingly well. <laughs> <laughs> and I've done some I've had some times when it's not so good. Mm. When uh I've probably been melancholy and held it in, but uh if somebody could get into my mind they'd <laughs> say, Well, you're struggling, aren't you? Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm. So
1: it's funny kind of how <laughs> one of my favorite verses dovetails with his and it's second corinthians 9 8 where it talks about god is able and god is able um to make all grace abound toward you that he always having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work so god is able and he's going to use you and that's interesting and we've had that bedrock in our souls that no matter what our circumstances that god would be the able one and he has not only proven that over and over again but he has provided richness in our souls and mm. that grace that um, just carries you on those days that you feel that you shouldn't or don't feel like going forward you know
0: trusting god's promises mm. when we can't Amen. see that's right the results today or we don't know about we tomorrow we don't even mm-hmm really see if the (laughs) results are going to be good you know from a human standpoint that uncertainty Mm -hmm. is probably the most difficult thing to deal with in the human experience we can gear up to face a challenge that we know Mm -hmm. is here in front of us and we know you know we have to endure this uh, right. For a time, but mm. the uncertainty right. is yes. just what's so hard to, mm. to deal with on, on a, a daily basis.
1: And, you know, one sweet thing, although Marty's dad was not a believer until, you know, Marty had been saved and he was the rough Cincinnati cop detective guy, um, he taught Marty not to give up. Mm-hmm. And even from a human standpoint, and then, of course, when he was saved, that was even more you know, in his soul, but to fight through on the hardest days was a sweet lesson from his past, you know.
0: Well, we draw on our experience. We draw on Mm -hmm. the strength of family, Mm -hmm. the strength of friends and others that we hear from. You Mm -hmm. mentioned that you hear from so many people that you hadn't heard from in a long time. (laughs) You know, when when the word gets out that you're dealing with Mm -hmm. this and that's a a comfort Mm -hmm. and a a, a thing that I think is a a way that Mm -hmm. God is Speaking to us, you know, right. and he speaks to us through his word primarily, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. as we have those that support us. And mm-hmm. I think you've been talking about relationships and team, yes. and you know, these are these are tremendous mm-hmm. benefits. Thank you for taking the time to mm-hmm. meet and to spend this time and to share openly and transparently the journey mm-hmm. that God has brought you on. And uh, we look forward mm-hmm. to many. Many more days ahead of ministry and, and uh, uh, seeing the Lord work. Thanks for joining me. Thank you.
2: Thank you for joining us today. On Mission is a production of Maranatha Baptist University. Subscribe to On Mission on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. But don't forget to leave a review, as this will help other growing leaders find these conversations. For information about our guests, previous episodes, and general information about On Mission or MBU, go to mbu.edu. Join us again next week as we examine what keeps leaders on mission.